Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have investor Mel and Dave with me here today. Mel is here with me today, Mel Tupree. And I'm going to have everybody take a look because you're known on all social media with your investor Mel Dave call sign there. So I'm going to make sure to have that link in the show notes, especially your Instagram. I think that's where you're primarily your biggest followers. But we're going to be talking about all things creative investing when it comes to multifamily. So if you're interested in multifamily, this is going to be your episode. Really appreciate your time here today, Mel. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're always curious, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on here, so I'm going to ask for a summary of how you found your way into the creative world of multifamily investing. Yes, and we started the traditional way of buying a couple properties using our own money, and then we hit the common roadblock that we ran out of money. So then we did the next logical thing of what we thought. So we worked all the time, tried to raise enough capital for that money down. And we realized that we were doing it all wrong. And then we learned about this period of financing. And as soon as we, we learned about it and we realized that, no, it's not a scam and yes, it's legal. We decided to go all in. It was after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad book that it didn't show us how to do it, but it changed our mindset on how to do it. And that's when the next year we bought 12 properties in 12 months. They were all multifamily properties. And we do it without joint venture partners and without using our own funds as well. 12 properties in 12 months. So how many doors did that equal? That was 56 apartments. So it was a busy year. Yeah, it's a very busy year. So what's really interesting there is, first of all, I think everybody brings up the power of the rich dad, poor dad. And what I like there is that you focused on the mindset shift that it, that occurred. Was there anything else that was going on in your life at that time that make you dive in? to that level to make that level of commitment? Honestly, it was, it was my kids. I have three kids. I wanted to someday spend more time with them, not have to ask for vacation days. We were actually on a trip on, in Florida when that this whole rich dad, poor dad, you were listening to it and that mindset that we're doing it all wrong. And I wanted to spend more time with them. I wanted to be home after school for my daughters and see my little guy run off the school bus. And I realized that if the way I'm doing it, it's just not working, I'll never be able to own enough properties at the pace that I need to hit it if I want to quit my job early enough type of thing. And that's what that was their drive behind it is, okay, I'm going to work really hard in the, long, in the short term to live the life that I want in the long term. Most people, it's multifamily becomes aspirational. It, it's a step up process as if we're playing a real world game of a monopoly or something. Did you start with single family homes or did you jump right into multifamily investing? I jumped right into multifamily myself. Dave had the one single dwelling, but they were smarter, smaller ones to start off with. So I think my first one was a duplex and then a triplex and then another two duplex. And we did those ones. And then we finally hit the commercial with the sixplex and down to the 17. But we still invest in, in different sizes. It's not necessarily the number of doors. It's really about the performance of the property. When the multifamily, at least when I, my experience so far is when you're dealing with multifamily, those sellers seem to be a little bit more receptive to this creative investing or the creative strategy you're talking about. Do you find that as well? Or is that a myth that you're going to bust for me? Or no, absolutely. Owner financing, it's, they do it because it benefits them. 
the year I bought 12 properties, 12 months, the majority were owner finance. I hold financing on properties that I've sold throughout the years as so I hold financing for other people as well because I know the benefits of it. So it's definitely easy. I wouldn't say easy. You need to do it properly and the right tools and strategies and the exit strategy and all those things. But it's there. They, some of them are at least open to have that conversation. Wait a second. Why should I do that? What do I get out of it type of thing? Yeah, it just seems like that. Do you find that you have to educate those sellers then of this as an option for them? Or is it something that they're familiar with? I find that the majority of them, I definitely had to educate them. They were, nobody does this around here. Why would I want to do this? All those kind of roadblocks and pushback that we got at the beginning definitely needed to, to educate them on why they should do it. And I have a big exit sign here behind me on my shelf because we're all about the exit strategies. And as soon as I realized that I need to properly explain that to potential lenders was a game changer to me. Because at the end of the day, somebody's going to lend me money. They want to know how am I going to be paying them back? And of course, I need to know how I'm going to pay them back as well. And it should be a numerical, logical decision. So I've always used our cash flow analysis matrix to show them how we're going to pay them back. And it works, maybe not every single time. Of course, some people may not want to do this, but it does work because again, they see the benefits of it. They see that I did my homework. They see that I run my numbers and my ratios make sense and that I have the built-in exit strategy as well. Would you mind sharing us with the, the those initial conversations with the seller? What are you talking about? Do you how, how much time do you spend building rapport before you even bring this type of concept up? It's pretty quick because the reality is I don't know those people when I start off, right? They may want to sell the property. Some of them may not even have it listed. And that's the first conversation I would say is if it's not listed, I'd find out about if they're open to potentially selling their property or where they're on their journey as an investor. And if I feel that they might want to liquidate fairly quickly or soon, then I say, hey, keep me in mind. We can make it a win-win. And then we start talking about the benefits to them on why they should consider doing this creative financing or holding financing in from the owner financing or vendor take back. That does bring me to my next question is the concept, where are you sourcing these properties? Are they coming off the MLS directly from the seller? Yeah, or, great. Or how are you finding them? All of the above. <laughs> and with trade financing, it's a numbers game. The more deals you look at, statistically speaking, the better. If you're looking at three deals a week and your neighbor is looking at 20, who's going to win? And I want, I want to win. I want you to win. So definitely mm -hmm. looking at a lot of deals. So yes, absolutely. I work with investor-focused agents and I also find off-market deals as well. And the cool thing is that these strategies can be applied in different areas. Like Dave and I, now we've purchased over 240 units throughout the years. We're using the strategies in five different countries right now as well. The property, and I'm located in Ontario, but we negotiated a deal, for example, in Costa Rica with owner financing made it a win-win, right? So it's having these strategies applicable in different areas. You have to adjust, of course, depending on where exactly you're investing, but they're applicable in different areas, which is pretty powerful. You're investing globally now. That was going to actually be my next question. Where do you, where are you investing? Yeah, it's so in Canada, US, Costa Rica, Mexico, and Dominican Republic. Okay. Yeah. Wow. You are stretched out. And what are some of the, that could be a whole nother rabbit hole you're about to send me down regarding how you're doing all this remotely like this. But would you suggest people start in their backyard for this type of thing? Like where would pe where would you suggest people start when it comes to creative investing? And honestly, it could be either one, as long as they know how to do it properly. 
I, I have some students who do it from day one, and but they don't want to go elsewhere. They want to be close to the property. They want to at least be able to drive there. So within a couple hours, I have some students who do it from day one in different provinces or different states. So it's, it really comes down to the individual. And I think it's a decision where you as an investor have, has to decide what's important to you. So if it's really important that you're close to the property, then you may realize that you may not cash flow, depending where you're located, you may not cash flow as much as somewhere else. And when I first started, I, I, that's how I felt. I wanted to be closer. I didn't know what I was doing. I wanted to be a little closer to home. So I did that. And then, of course, as I, my, my experience grew, then I felt more comfortable. But you don't have to do it that way either. If you're comfortable, then it's a matter of having the right team, having the right strategies, the right training and all those things. And you can go elsewhere. You just have to have the right strategies and definitely the right team as well set up. Yeah, this is a perfect example of, I've actually had other people on the show and I've told you, I warned you some of my fat, rapid fire questions that I'm going to ask you at the end. The concept of getting into real estate with no money associated with this, but this creative investing is one of those things that people have attempted to bust as a myth. The thing is that to, in order for it to really start rocking for you, you got to get a one or two under your belt to make it like we were talking about mindset earlier. It flips a trigger when you actually experience it. It becomes accessible, an accessible strategy. And then the deals and the opportunities start to flow. Have you found this difficult to get some of your students over that, that first hurdle so that they see it as being possible? Yeah, no, and great question. And honestly, I think it's part of it is is the mindset, it's the approach. And that's even why more, like, why training is so important, right? Like most of our students buy their first property in about 90 days joining. And that gives them time to review the content, ask us questions, make sure they're set up properly and all that kind of stuff. And okay, of course, everybody's different. Some people might take six, seven months. Some people have six properties in six months. So everybody's different. But I want you as an investor, for those listening, to remember that we all have to start somewhere. And, and sometimes you see people on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok and doing all these great things. But you have to remember that just like anybody else, we all started somewhere. I had my first awkward conversation and Dave and I came back home. Oh, I don't think I said this correctly. And he said the same thing and we gave each other feedback. And OK, next time, let's improve. And this is it's exactly that. It's just self-reflecting. It's getting OK with hearing some no's. You're definitely going to get some no's throughout your journey. I hear a lot. of I still hear no's. And that's OK because maybe the next one is just around the corner and you improve on it. And, and you know that it's not a, it's nothing about you. It's just sometimes it's just not the right fit for that person. And if it's a no and I find an amazing deal, that's where it gets really cool because with creative financing, just because the owner's not willing to hold financing, if I find an amazing deal, I'm definitely not going to stop there. Let's look for some secured funds, for example. Let's look for perhaps a promissory note as well. So there's still different ways that you can fund a deal as well. Yeah, I can imagine that you're looking at quite a few properties. So let's put things into perspective for people a little bit. How many properties are you reviewing before you find that one that's a good fit? I That question is always such a hard one to answer because I don't know. Some months I might look at 50 deals and there's nothing. And the next month, all of a sudden, like some months I, I close on 119 units in, in three months. I just, they're all happening at the same time. And then for a couple of months, I couldn't find anything. So it's just really hard to tell. I think, honestly, it's just being okay that if the deal doesn't make sense, and it's not just about cash flow, it's about with creative financing, it's definitely about that exit, right? You have to know how you're going to pay back those lenders. And when you do get into creative financing, 
you may not, you won't always have an exit strategy for the deals that come across, even if it cash flows. There's a lot of deals that came on my desk. I'm like, oh, it cash flows and it's a perfect location. And oh, it's beautiful building. You know, it would look great. But it, I just didn't have my exit strategy. So in those cases, you just can't proceed. I would imagine you're getting more and more popular as the interest rates are ticking up. Everybody's looking for creative ways to make some of these numbers work. What are some of your students doing? What are some of the most creative opportunities you've seen come across your desk so far? Probably there's some that are exciting. I've had one student who, and it's on my YouTube, I interviewed her, but she, she got a deal under contract for so financial institution in first place, owner financing in second place, 0% interest, which was, I thought that was like one of wow. the sweetest. I haven't even, I don't think actually I've done it once, but yeah, which was, that's not always the case. 8% down is clearly very low, but I thought that was very unique opportunity. But again, why would they do it? Because it benefited them. They want to sell the property. They sold it on time. They it benefited them from capital gains perspective. So there's still reasons why th- that some students do 100% owner financing. They're not even going to a financial institution as well. They call them unicorn deals, but I bought a couple of those myself as well. But yeah, just being open to doing a couple of different options as well. Essentially, if the owner says no, but it's a great deal, don't stop there. There are different ways that you can fund the deal. Just to remind everybody, take a look at social media and look up Investor Mel Dave and follow Investor Mel Dave. And I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. But you brought up the financial institutions and I was curious as to how these are set up. Is it, you mentioned you got the unicorns where the seller might finance 100% of the deal, but I'm going to guess by the sounds of it, you call it a unicorn. So that's obviously rare. Exactly. Yeah. What is, do you find it easy to find those lending institutions to make up the difference that the sellers are going to carry back? Yeah, no, we have a few because, because you're bang on. And sometimes people, when we talk creative financing, they think, oh, you have a financial institution that's going to lend you a hundred percent. No financial institution is going to lend a hundred percent, but they might hold breaks and they're going to want to be in first place, but they might hold whatever amount. Maybe it's 80%, maybe 70%, maybe it's 60%. It might not be as high as you wanted. And some people will say that that's low. It's only 60%. And again, the way I look, I'm like, hey, I'm already more than halfway there. And I just got to find the rest of the funds to fund the deal. And it's just honestly, it's just having the right conversations, finding we have a large network. So just being able to connect with the right financial institutions who are open to creative financing. You're not going to be going to, to the big banks when you're in the early life cycle of the deal because they're not open to creative financing. Yeah. It'd be interesting to have those conversations with some of those banking institutions because this, in some cases, I'm going to guess that this is even a new concept for them. Some don't do it. Absolutely. Some people say we can't do it. Some will do it, but it, they'll keep it very low. But we definitely get some no's as well. And that's the thing is that just be, if you've gone no's before, it doesn't mean that it can't be done. People are doing it all the time. You mentioned my Instagram and Facebook earlier. Like we've been featuring one of my students for the past two years. I do mention my day every week. If all those students can do it, it's a proven system. It can be done. You just need to know who to go to and how to set it up and what to say and all those types of things. So just open up your mind that just because you got no's, like at first, if we were the same, my, I went to my bank and they said, nope, it can't keep growing anymore. It can't keep buying properties. I'm like, back then we were both working full time. We had good credit. I'm like, what do you mean you can't keep growing? But it was just, it wasn't us. It was, it's a, it was the financial institution. And that's when we're like, okay, we have two choices here. 
we stopped buying, which we actually did because I didn't realize I didn't know what I didn't know. And that's pretty powerful. So we did stop buying for a while until we realized that, wait a second, there's another way of doing this. So what are some of the, it sounded like earlier, we talked about what we would talk to or set the stage for that seller. So they, they understood what you're trying to do or be to see if they're open to even the concept of creative financing. Could you give us an example? How does that, how does that conversation start just so that you can vet them out pretty quickly? I just, if it's already listed, if it's already listed, I would just talk, discuss, hey, have you ever heard of owner financing, for example? And then they'll say yes or no. And they might just say, yes, I have. And no, I'm not interested. And I'll say, okay, fair enough. You understand the benefits? And they'll say, yes, I am. I'm not interested. Okay, no, not a problem. And I'll kind of leave it at that. And depending on the deal, I've had some, I've had some people that it was a no. And either I found another way to fund the deal. And if it didn't work out because I couldn't or whatever happened, Fast forward years later, I see them again. So then I have the same conversation. Hey, I see that you you still have your property and just wondering in case anything changed, would you be now open to creative financing? And they're like, let's have a conversation. Let's grab a coffee together. And then we're able to chat and what does that look like? And how can I make it a win-win with them? We're huge on win-wins. That's something that I definitely did not do correctly at first. I wanted to win. I wanted to make the most amount of money. And I still do, of course. However, I all about win-win. Yes, I want to win, but I want them to win as well. And once you start doing that, we're talking about growing your portfolio and how to get there. The first few are harder. Once you have those few, you want to make sure to nurture them. You want to make sure to treat them fairly. You want to make sure that they're making good money as well, because chances are often investors have more than one properties. So they might have another two or three properties that they don't disclose right away that they may want to hold finance for you for the future, or perhaps want to pay them back that money, maybe now they'll become, a, they'll give you a promissory note, for example, on a different type of deal. So there's a lot of different ways once you, and it's like riding a bike, right? It, it does get easier and easier, but yeah, just really, just not being afraid to ask and not be, not being afraid to getting no's as well. Yeah. You, I know this is a very fluid answer or question because I know when we talk about creative financing, you're trying to tailor whatever offer in that creative, in a creative way, because it, that's what's going to close the deal typically, but you probably have a baseline. Like what is a typical deal kind of within an error margin error that you can give us a breakdown? Is it 20% carry back? Is it 25% carry back? What would the average deal look like? But that they would hold financing? Typically, yeah. yeah, definitely you're bang on. 20, 25% down is definitely the most popular. Because that's the number one, they have to have equity in the house, right? So if they don't have that equity, they're not willing to hold financing. So that's why we talked about the unicorn deal, 100% finance earlier. Well, not every owner has their property fully paid off. So that's why it's a little bit more rare and not everybody wants to lend all the, their money as well, right? But 20, 25% down, if you think about it, if somebody has the property for 10 years, of course, with real estate, value typically increases in value despite the zigzags. So their property is probably worth more than when they bought it 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. They probably have that equity and that's why they're often open to doing that. So yeah, 20, 25% down is definitely the one that are most popular. And sometimes you have to go more, you have to renegotiate because the financial institution may just say, I'm only going to do 65% in this case. Then, okay, I don't want to lose out on the deal. I'm going to go back and say, hey, this is what happened. This is why. Is there any room for negotiation. And by doing so, I'll give you this extra little bonus if the deal makes sense, of course. 
And we talked briefly about sourcing properties, and one of them was that you found them off the MLS and you find preferred realtors. Let's try and spend a little time regarding your marketing efforts directly to the sellers. Do you do direct mail? How are you finding some of those properties? Yeah, no, I don't do direct mail. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I've done it once and I didn't get, not get a good response. So I decided not to do that. Definitely social media has helped throughout the years, just not being able, not being afraid to to ask. And you don't have to be on social media and not, not like we are, but it's just a matter of even letting people just inside our community. We were telling everybody I worked with, you know, everybody, if it was a full-time firefighter, everybody at the station knew that we we're looking for deals. And sometimes just from telling people, hey, if ever you know anybody who's looking to sell a property, we're actively purchasing properties and in my way. So it's just really within your own community if you're buying locally. And if not, putting it on on maybe your Facebook page or if you have an Instagram page and letting people know. And often people do want to help, right? If you say, hey, I'm a new investor, I want to get started, but I'm not sure, I'm looking for deals. Hey, if you happen to see a deal come your way, reach out type of thing. And then again, is that domino effect. Yeah. Do you kind of lead in with the concept of the creative financing with any of your social media or marketing that you do? Now I do because we talk, that's what we do. We're all about creative financing. So that's typically what we talk about is all creative financing. But back then, no, back then, no. It was just, hey, if you're looking, if you're an owner looking to sell a property, let me know. And then as we, as our confidence grew and we started growing our portfolio, then we started being a little bit more transparent and out there with our, (laughs) with what we're looking. You and Dave do mentorship. How important was mentorship to you when you were progressing through this? It's a game changer. And I was way too stubborn when I was younger to invest in a mentor at the beginning. I thought, hey, I've got this. I can do it. And did I do it? Yes. But did I make a whole lot of costly mistakes? Absolutely. My first property was all wrong. The zoning was wrong. Not because I'm not smart, but again, you just don't know what you don't know. I was relying on the agent and I just didn't know what I didn't know. And now throughout the years, we still do. I have three coaches right now and I'll never stop. I had the conversation funny enough with my dad this week. You still have three coaches. I'm like, absolutely. Why would I not have three coaches and invest myself? Because I, I'm saving time. I'm saving errors. I'm growing my network. So I, yeah, I'm, I, and I know that I don't know what I don't know and why not keep improving my own skills. And of course, the knowledge I can pass on as well to my students. Yeah. As investors and entrepreneurs, we really focus on that return on investment when we're, especially when we're starting off, we're watching and keeping track of every penny and trying to maximize that. But it is, that's yet another mindset shift where it's really hard for people to see that as an investment as much as the next direct mail campaign. Well, and that's the thing, and it is a mindset, and I'm huge on mindset. Like we talk a lot about mindset as well when you're talking about Instagram and Facebook and all that earlier, but we're big on mindset as well because it, it is huge. And having that right mindset and not being afraid to, once you pay attention, and if you're going to go in mindset and if you're never going to learn or implement anything that you're being taught, then of course you're not going to get the return on investment. But I'm going all in saying, okay, I'm going to do this. And if it costs X amount of money, I want to 10X or 20X or 100X that, that return on investment. Yeah, I can't agree enough there. And I, and it's one of those things that you can't convince people of this. It's something that they have to experience and then realize for themselves. And then they it finally gets stuck. It takes root, if you will. Mel, this has been a great conversation. And I, I do have some rapid fire questions that I like to throw at you and learn a little bit more about you. Sure. <laughs> so 
Here's your chance to bust one of those real estate investing myths we brought up earlier. What is a real estate investing myth you'd like to bust here today? Oh boy, it has to be something about creative financing that, oh, here's a good one, that you have to have your own home before getting to creative financing. And that's absolutely not true. You don't have to have your own home. You should have some backup money, absolutely, or closing costs and those kind of things. But you don't need to have a residential property before you get into creative financing. In fact, often you're able to buy some income producing properties, get a cash flow from that. That can buy your home down the road. Sure. How about a book recommendation? Book what are you or what are you reading right now? Book recommendation. I would say one that definitely changed my mindset. And I'll give you the quick story behind it. I wanted to buy 10 properties. I was in my 30s. I wanted to buy 10 properties before I turned 40. And everybody was telling me, not possible. You're not going to do it. Why would you want to do that? Why do you want to be a landlord? All those things. And then I read this book and it definitely changed my mindset. So I read 10X by Grant Cardone. Allow yourself to think bigger, take massive action and get those big results. And that's exactly what happened. By the time yeah. I was 40, I had 27 multi-time properties. Okay, awesome. I love that book. <laughs> what is the biggest business mistake you've made and what did you learn from it? My business structure was completely wrong. It literally cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was a huge mistake. We grew very quickly, of course, with the creative financing. That's a nice thing about it. You can grow really quickly, but our business structure was completely wrong. So then we had to change it for liability and taxes and all that. And it was a really costly mistake. And I think my lesson learned is I don't know what I don't know. And that's why I still have three coaches. Because if I don't know one little piece of information, that's why we always have conversation. We have monthly meetings with the lawyers and accountants, always looking at things. Because again, I don't know what I don't know. I'm not a specialist in every category. And I'm not afraid to outsource to the specialists and really lean on, on the experts as well in, in different areas. I know what my lane is, but I know also know what my expertise is not. Yeah, that, that's a great piece of advice. A little fun. What's your favorite movie? And favorite movie? It's definitely not real estate related. You know what? I love Rain Man. I just think it was such a classic. I love Rain Man. I love Pretty Woman as well. I think a lot of people do, but I think those are probably my top two. Yeah, cool. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Don't be so stubborn, Mel, and get yourself a mentor so you don't have to make all these mistakes from day one. <laughs> it feeds into the tagline of this show. You can either put in the 10,000 hours and become an expert or find somebody to fill in those gaps. I don't know why people don't take more advantage of that. In 60 seconds or less, I need you to give everybody a tip that they can implement in their real estate investing today that would make a huge impact. Okay. Stop procrastinating. Stop saying you want to do it. I hear all the time. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it soon. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it after that. Do something today. Whatever your next step is. You've been thinking about creative financing. Get a coach. You've been thinking about speaking with a lender. Go speak with them. Pick up the phone. Stop at the house. If you think the landlord's outside, like whatever it is, stop talking that you're going to do it and just actually doing it because it's one thing to, to talk about it. Someday I'm going to do it. Someday I'm going to do it. No, how about today? I am doing it. Mel, this was a great conversation. Before I let you go, it is at Investor Mel Dave. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes and I'll try to make links to every social network I can find you on, which is, Everywhere. but uh, I appreciate it. Is there a question or concept you wish we would have covered here today? Oh, man. I think we covered a lot, right? We covered the creative financing. We covered mindset. We covered action. I think we, I think this was a great conversation. We're really happy to have been here on the show. 
I can't thank you enough. You are welcome back anytime. I hope you'll take me up on that. Again, yeah. it's at Investor Mel Dave. And make sure you go into the show notes at reimastermind.net. I'll make sure those links are clickable so you can find Mel and Dave really easily. So thank you again, Mel. Thanks so much. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.